This is the Heidi Harris Show podcast. I do these a couple of times a week. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. You can also catch me live Sunday night, 97.1 FM Talk in St. Louis. And during the week, I do videos called Headlines with Heidi. I put them on YouTube, Vimeo, and HeidiHarris.com, where I talk about the issues of the day, 15, 20 minutes on the headlines. And I, a lot of people seem to enjoy the shorter format because who's got time for an hour, right? Right. Sunday night on my live St. Louis show, I had the privilege of speaking with Brigadier General David Hicks about the Ukraine situation. Wanted to get the scoop. He told me as much as he could tell me without killing me. Anyway, here's how that went. The Heidi Harris Show. Hello, St. Louis! Heidi Harris. The Heidi Harris Show is on the air. Good evening. Glad you are here. Listen, I have not talked a lot about Ukraine on my show each week. And the reason I haven't done it is because I have not felt from day one as if I really know what's going on. Now, a lot of these people claim to be experts. You know, suddenly people who couldn't find Ukraine on a map a month ago (laughs) try to come across like they're experts on this. I am not. I'm not going to try to fool you into believing I am, but I've also watched this and, and I, I don't feel as if I'm getting the full story on what's going on. Remember a year ago, we were talking about how corrupt Ukraine was. Oh, Hunter Biden and the laptop and Ukraine and, and Joe Biden. And all, all of a sudden everybody's walking around with blue and yellow pins on their lapels. What? <laughs> oh, we need some actual help here. I am thrilled to be joined by Brigadier General David Hicks. He is an Air Force veteran has retired from the Air Force now, command pilot with over 3,800 flying hours, including over 500 combat hours, more than 3,600 of which were in the mighty A-10. He's flown just about every type of aircraft. And his last assignment before he retired, he was at the Pentagon as a director of strategy, concepts, and war gaming for the Air Force. His resume goes on forever. And General, I'm so thrilled to have you here. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks, Heidi. Uh, it's great to talk to you again, and uh, great to have a chance to chat tonight. Yeah, let's talk about it. So, so the, the Ukraine situation for me as a civilian, not having the knowledge that you do, I just have felt from the beginning as if I'm not really getting the story. And I was just reading something the other day about how Vladimir Putin doesn't even do email. So here you've got you know, Zelensky out there every single day on social media, on Twitter, on this and that, making pleas for this and that. And then Vladimir Putin not really doing so well in the social media uh, realm. How much are we really getting that's true? I think, you know, for the most part, a lot of the things you're getting or a lot of the things that are coming out in the media usually take a little bit of time. So a day to two days before they can kind of be verified. But I will say Ukraine and Russia both uh, have done an outstanding job of trying to do information management and uh, misinformation management to <laughs> influence um, influence really the audience worldwide as far as what's going on. The Ukraine or Ukraine um, leadership has done a far better job, I think, than anybody ever imagined doing that and they've done an outstanding job actually of resisting you know the Russian Russian invasion with a far outnumbered force yeah it's incredible we're speaking with Brigadier General David Hicks it is amazing isn't it what Ukraine's been able to do with with not anywhere near the weaponry that Russia has now talk a little bit about what you know about Ukraine and their nationalistic you know point of view and trying to defend their country you can't blame them for wanting to do that I'm so thrilled that they're trying to do that yeah I think that's uh you know it's it's one thing that can be overlooked is you can 
you can oh you can count numbers of tanks you can count numbers of people in the military you can count or look at how much training they do but the one thing you can't count on and you can't put on a piece of paper is the will to fight um, if your country is invaded or if you're invading another country and that's one thing that I think everybody really on you know everybody on the planet really overestimated Russia and underestimated Ukraine. They underestimated Ukraine's will of, will to fight, and they overestimated Russia's will to fight, and just to kind of assume their equipment and sheer numbers uh, would take this and do it in a short order fashion. Yeah, it's pretty interesting too. And now, I don't, obviously, supply is going to be an issue when when you've got all these troops coming in, staying for longer probably than Vladimir Putin anticipated, and not exactly able to be picking fruit off of the uh, you know the crops in the middle of winter, right? Or well, I guess it's headed toward crop season. But talk a little bit about that logistically about trying to supply these troops who get in from Russia. Yeah, so you know, any any time you go into a fight, uh, you know, it's one of the basic basic tenets, I guess you would say, of, of warfare is you have to have a, a logistics chain to feed, supply, and uh, keep the troops moving. So if you don't have food, you don't have bullets, you don't have fuel, um, you're going to stop pretty fast. And Russia has a, a supply chain or their logistics chain is notoriously weak and I don't think anybody really thought it was going to be as weak as it is now. They don't have maintenance trained personnel. They don't have what, uh, which is uh, called an enlisted corps or non-commissioned officer corps that will take care of, repair, and keep the vehicles moving uh, in an orderly and efficient fashion. So that's why you wound up with a 40-mile convoy outside of Kiev, um, you know, about a month ago stalled is they couldn't fix the the vehicles that broke down they couldn't refuel them food was stuck in belarus um so it you know it turned into a mess they just have a different organized military and their military um i think they were too reliant on essentially old equipment that wasn't going to be able to move a great distance in a short period of time Interesting. And they also obviously, we're speaking with Brigadier General David Hicks, they obviously did not, as we talked about, anticipate the resistance from Ukraine. I mean, they thought they'd be in and out of there, what, a week or two? Yeah, I think that the general feeling was, and it kind of was the general feeling, I think, around, you know, in most of the Western countries was they, that Russia would make quick order of this. And the Russians, you know, the, I'll say the Russians kind of made a mistake, too. It, it looks like from everything that I'm hearing and seeing is their leadership kind of allowed all of their separate armies, uh, which are organized in different, uh, you know, in U.S. terms, divisions. Um, they allowed them all to do their pretty much their own planning and then do their own command and control. So there was no coordination amongst the different armies that were fighting in eastern Ukraine or invading from the eastern Ukraine with the armies that were invading from Belarus and with the Navy, and with the Air Force. So if you don't have a coordinated plan where everybody understands where things are going good and where things are going bad and where to move forces or to adjust forces, um, it's just like everybody kind of got to the starting line and said go, and everybody went running but didn't have a plan to work with each other. Um, so wow. that's, that's, another thing that, that's another thing that has really, really hampered uh, the Russian efforts is that 
um, lack of coordination. Now we'll see because it's obvious they're they're now moving back or falling back into uh, just the eastern Ukraine as far as where they're going to focus their fight more there and then along the southern coast. We'll see if that changes how they do their command and control or if they adjust their tactics or anything. But, um, you know, by and large, uh, from a command and control and senior senior management of a fight or a war, uh, it's been a complete mess. Yeah, it sounds like it. We're speaking with Brigadier General David Hicks. So glad to have you here, sir, tonight. Talk about morale, because we've heard a lot of stories about how these Russian soldiers, they don't even want to be there. And the Russian people, there's there's an attempt to get information in because the Russian people have not been able to get as much information, some folks are saying, as other countries can get. And so they're trying to get information in, and the Russian people aren't, they don't seem to be behind this war at all. Yeah, and it's one of those things where, you know, we have the luxury uh, in the U.S. of, you know, whether you whether you're on the left or whether you're on the right, at least you can find and get information um, to either support or dispute what you think or what you believe. Whereas you, countries like Russia, China, uh, socialist, uh, really communist countries control that information flow, and that's what's been going on inside of Russia since the beginning of this. Um, so they don't really know exactly what's happening as far as the war and the fight. Um, it is interesting. There's been a number of fires and a number of um, government-slash-military buildings that have been destroyed or suddenly caught on fire in the last week or two weeks. So I think the the attempt at controlling information is getting worse inside of Russia as far as more and more folks are finding out you know, the facts and what's really happening. So this is not necessarily a popular fight, and it's really not a popular fight with the Russian troops. Um, the ones that were in Belarus before they invaded going south, uh, they thought they were on a training exercise. Um, and some of the ones that believe in Crimea, same thing, they're conscripts. They thought they were doing a training exercise until bullets started flying and they realized what was really happening. <laughs> wow. So, so you know, you know, you know, if I if I think I'm going on a training exercise for a weekend, um, all right, great. But then all of a sudden, uh, people are actually shooting back, and I've got you know loaded loaded weapons and uh, tanks that are loaded with ammo. I've got to I've got to try to try to protect myself, but I don't really know why I'm doing it. So it's a completely different way and a completely different mentality of how they think of fighting and it's really kind of a world war two mentality almost uh compared yeah. to how how we think how we fight how we try to organize our forces that's brigadier general david hicks talking about ukraine and this was on my live sunday show in st louis here's more of my conversation with the general we kind of touched on it a little bit before, but let's talk about the corruption in Ukraine. Because like I said, a year ago, we were all about how corrupt Ukraine was. And all of a sudden, everyone's forgetting that. We're not saying that what Russia is doing is okay, obviously. But talk a little bit about Ukraine and that situation prior to Russia invading them. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting situation because, you know, you know, less than a year ago or a year or so ago, Folks, kind of, there was a lot of questions of what was going on inside the country, a lot of what was going on with the leadership there. Um, was this new president, who was a former comedian, um, actually somebody that was going to be effective at what they do, and then and then everything behind the scenes. Um, so I, it's hard to 
this is this war so far has been hard to gauge uh, because it is so different from any conflict that has really been fought previously. You know, everything is all about influence on social media and how fast you can get information out, or I'll, I will really say misinformation out. And so I'm not sure, you know, there's some things that come out of Ukraine and Ukraine and Russia are both competing in the information uh, slash mis- misinformation campaign uh, with each other. And Ukraine is doing surprisingly well at it um, and pushing out the information and, and doing, you know, most of the stuff is turning out to be factual. But uh, at the same time, uh, you have to verify it. And we call that the fog and friction of war, where when reports come out initially uh, in the past, it had a chance to be controlled by the respective governments. Nowadays, with social media and there's an actual picture, there's an actual video with somebody saying something, it comes out over, you know, the Internet right away. And whoever's following it sees it and then shares it and spreads it. Um, And it. In the past, it would take a day to two days or more to figure out if that was true or not. And it still takes that long to figure out if it's true or not. But once it gets out into the public realm, um, uh, you know, kind of becomes fact, I guess you would say, of whatever the initial story is. So, you know, Ukraine has not got necessarily the best track record when it comes to corruption and everything else. Um, But uh, they have done a I'll say a phenomenal job thus far of trying to manage the information slash slash misinformation um, versus Russia. And they've been much more nimble at doing it. Uh, And that goes to what you talked about earlier. Uh, The Russians uh, still think in a very, uh, I think, somewhat old fashioned way where, you know, Putin still doesn't use email. uh, Maybe he needs to get into the 21st century. I saw that and I was stunned that he doesn't even do email. You know, he's probably saving himself a lot of time, General. I've got to tell you the truth about the time I waste on email. <laughs> we're, speak- we're speaking with Brigadier General David Hicks. Yeah, retired from the Air Force. Yeah, it's crazy. Talk to me about this ship. Apparently this this big ship was taken down. Uh, there's Some people call it the Russian Navy's most important warships or one of them. Uh, apparently, well, what's happening with that? What do you know? It's a, it's a guided cruiser. I'm, I'm get, trying to get this right. I'm not trying to sound like an expert here. The guided missile cruiser. Big one. Yes, the Moskva was a was kind of they call it the flagship. So every fleet, you know, it's just like the U.S. Navy. Every region of the world, we have a fleet that's a, a kind of a numbered fleet, and they have a flagship, and that's where the the big commander for that that region uh, is on that ship, and then that ship oh. is the that ship is the pride of that fleet, if you will, or the okay. one that runs all the command and control of it. And uh, so, yeah, they it's been shocking also how the Russian Navy has just kind of floated around right off of the uh, Ukraine coast and has been happy to tie up in port. Uh, they had a, another landing craft or amphibious uh, landing ship that got sunk uh, in port or blown up in port uh, a couple of weeks ago. And then this one was, you know, not far off the coast cruising around and uh it looks like right now at least from all of the open source reporting is the ukrainian military flew some drones out and got all of the navy forces and that that specific ships uh anti-air forces 
looking at the drones. And while they were doing looking in one direction, then they fired two anti-ship missiles from the coast, and both both of them hit the ship and uh, sunk it. And wow, you know that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of like war fighting 101 if you're in college of things not to do. Um, right. As far as getting too close to a, an adversarial or a hostile coast, and then also not continuing to look around at things that might actually sink your boat. Yeah, misdirection like a magic act. You know, look over here. Don't pay attention to the yeah. man behind the curtain. That's incredible. We're speaking with Brigadier General David Hicks. So, you know, were you surprised at the technology that, that Ukraine had or the the way they were able to to fight back? We don't know who's supplying anything. We'll get to that. But were you surprised at the capability that they had? They, you know, it's it has been surprising to see how fiercely motivated and nationalistic they are. And I, I mean, and I mean, surprising in a good way, surprising in a wonderful way, you know, wanting to protect their country, wanting to fight for their country and, uh, and not giving up. And then once they started getting additional support uh, with munitions and, and anti-tank weapons and things like that, um, they have really created just absolute havoc for the Russian military. So it has been it has been surprising to see the fierce resistance that they put up, but it's been incredibly refreshing to see how many um, people have come in to help with uh, with the effort uh, along the borders and then going inside the country to try to get folks out and then also to try to help the military. And um, it's completely changed the calculus that Russia had uh, and what they thought they were going to be able to do in a quick fashion. That's amazing. I was big with Brigadier General David Hicks. Now, about the drones, I know they fly them outside of Las Vegas all over the world, obviously, or they control the drones from there. Uh, what about the ones in Ukraine? Who, where, where are they controlled? Do we know who's controlling them? So most all of those are being controlled from, from inside of country. Uh, and okay. they've got drones. They don't, have, they don't have large drones from the U.S. They, they have some smaller ones that we have have sent over in some of the, the arm shipments, but those smaller ones can be incredibly effective with, um, I'll say smaller weapons and warheads, or also uh, the ability to provide information as far as where the enemy is moving and what they're doing. Now they do have some bigger drones from Turkey and a couple of other countries, I believe, I can't say that with certainty, that have been incredibly effective at hitting some of the Russian forces uh, as they've tried to move. And, you know, again, that's one of the things that uh, changes how we fight now is if you have the ability to fly a small uh, aerial uh, piece of equipment over enemy lines or into enemy territory and see what they're doing and how they're moving, then that allows you to move your forces, even if you have a much smaller force, but it allows you to move their, your forces into a position to defend or defeat um, the adversaries are coming forward. And that's exactly, that's one of the big things that's happened there in Russia is, or I mean, in uh, Ukraine is they've been able to do that and almost know where the Russians are before the Russians realize where they are. Wow. That's incredible. We're speaking with Brigadier General David Hicks. Now, what about Russia? Do they have, I'm sure they have some kind of drones, don't they? Something? Yeah, they have, you know, they have some of the same equipment and some of the same capabilities, but it goes back to, uh, again, some of the failings with command and control. If you're not, 
organizing and commanding and coordinating and prioritizing where you use your air-to-ground weapons and where you use your drones and where you use your equipment uh, with the ground forces, um, then it's kind of just a haphazard, uh, everybody everybody go. Um, and so you, you wind up with a much less effective fighting force and a much less effective uh, force that's going to be able to really get after the enemy or, you know, go after the enemy in a, an effective way. And that's what's happening right now is they're all fighting separately and the Ukrainians, uh, the Ukraine military is almost picking them off one by one. It's a, it's a guerrilla war on steroids. Uh, no question. The best way to look at that. That's true. We're speaking with Brigadier General David Hicks. Do you have any idea how many people have been killed on the Russian side? Because we hear about this general, that general, this person, that person. Uh, do we have any kind of actual death toll between you know the Russians and the civilians in Ukraine? Any ideas? You know, the last the last thing I saw, and of course you have to take it with a grain of salt because it comes from uh, from the Ukrainian sources, but. 20, about 22,000 Russian military personnel have been killed. There was uh, supposedly, I saw in a report this morning, two more Russian generals that were killed in the Kharkiv region uh, where the uh, Ukrainian forces hit uh, a command post there um, earlier today, or actually yesterday, I believe. And the, the losses for equipment and personnel have been somewhat staggering and you know you, you again there's no way we can verify the exact numbers but when you see so many videos and so many pictures of equipment being destroyed or equipment destroyed on the road and bodies and other things that i have seen with some of the stuff i'm doing um you have to go well the numbers may not be exact and they may be a little bit inflated but um it's it's definitely far more substantial than Russia ever expected and is affecting how they can even coordinate their follow-on attack and follow-on uh, forces because they've lost so much leadership and they've also lost so many pieces of equipment in the fight so far. Interesting. We're speaking with Brigadier General David Hicks. So I'm wondering, is the is the world just surprised at how Vladimir screwing this up and people like you are because you know you've been involved in this I mean you had an entire career in the in, in the Air Force and you were at the Pentagon and involved as director of strategy concepts wargaming you know this inside and out but the average person might have thought that Russia was a bigger threat and now we're looking at this and we're going this is not looking real good on Russia's part what is the message being sent to other countries about how inept he is yeah quite quite frankly I think even even I would I would say if you hold most of the world's military, or at least the Western countries' uh, militaries, uh, they're all going to tell you they misjudged this uh, quite quite grossly um, in a big picture scheme as far as how bad Russia will do. And a lot of it goes goes back to, you know, the, the Russian military still thinks and works in almost a World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War uh, mentality with their command and control and their doctrine, and they haven't evolved over time how they would fight uh, a fight. And they also haven't evolved their military to be able to do it logistically. Um, 
you know, I don't want to get too much into the details of equipment, but, you know, a lot of the Russian equipment was designed during the Cold War so they could lose a lot of equipment but keep fighting because they thought of fighting in large numbers. So their tanks are not designed to uh, withstand anti-tank weapons like we have now. Okay. They have ammunition that sits all around inside the tank, and if one of them cooks off uh, and blows up inside the tank, uh, the rest of them are going to blow up pretty much immediately. And U.S. and Western equipment is designed completely different from that. So that's why you see so much destruction on the battlefield is these new weapons are just making a mess of Russian equipment um, in the course of fighting. Wow, that's incredible. That is incredible. Well, now, what do you hear about Vladimir Putin's health? I, I keep hearing reports, and I saw a video the other day or a picture, and he was, oh, look, he looks bloated. He looks like he can't. Well, I mean, what do you hear? Anything about his health? Is he terminally ill? Is he just sick? Do we, or anything at all going on with him? You know, honestly, I, I haven't heard anything specific as far as what's happening with him or what's going on with him. Um, I said at the beginning of this, to uh, a number of friends and folks that I, that I work with and were kind of wondering what I thought about it. This ends badly for Putin, I think, in one of three ways. Um, the first one is he gets into the mother of all guerrilla wars in Ukraine, and it bleeds the Russian military dry of uh, capability, which is somewhat what is happening right now. Um, the second thing that could happen to him is he gets taken out from within by a military coup or by, you know, one of the oligarchs or whatever in his inner circle that he trusts, which he's clamping down and tightening his inner circle. And then the third one is, uh, quite frankly, it's in Russian doctrine and it's not classified, but, you know, they'll, they have said that they would use tactical nuclear weapons if they feel like a conventional fight is losing, or if they feel the regime is, you know, at great risk of, uh, being taken. So that's the most dangerous one is if he really is in a bad mental state or has issues, um, is instead of giving up power, what does he do before he gives it up or gets taken out? Um, the option one is happening right now. Uh, I hope that it, you know, is resolved in a peaceful manner, but you know, we're in, we're in dangerous times and, uh, it can't be, overlooked and can't be disregarded uh, with, with yeah. where we're at right now, all he thinks. No question. That's true. We're speaking with Brigadier General David Hicks. If he were to employ nuclear weapons, h- how far would they go? How many people would be affected? And how would he use them? Would he just nuke Ukraine? Would he nuke other countries? I mean, what, what would he do? It's hard to imagine with his mentality, but what, what do you think he would do? Personal opinion on this, I think he would probably try to do it to he would probably use it in a limited fashion somewhere in Ukraine and it'd be a smaller uh what we call tactical nuclear weapon so think of something that might you know take out of a small town or or you know a small smaller area of a few miles or whatever and he would do that to show that he's willing to use them and you better negotiate with me or I'm going to use more of them so I, I don't think he would do anything crazy like launching, you know, intercontinental ballistic missiles or starting a war, you know, with the U.S. or or with NATO in that fashion. But I think he, I think it's certainly one of those things that 
if he felt like he was losing and losing face and, you know, the regime was at risk, he might do something small to get a negotiated settlement so he gets he gets to look like he wins or, you know, he got what he wanted. I'm Heidi Harris. This is my conversation with Brigadier General David Hicks that aired live Sunday night on my St. Louis show on 97.1 FM Talk. His call sign is Trash Man. All fighter pilots have one. All right, General, where'd you get the call sign Trash Man? I want to hear the real version. Well, you uh, in the uh, <laughs> fighter pilot world, you usually get a call sign by something you do stupid flying or something related to your last name. Like if your last name is Campbell, I've got some friends that are nicknamed or their call sign is soup. Um, soup. Yeah. I know soup Campbell. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's something you do uh, stupid on the ground. And mine was, uh, mine was done mostly uh, by a, a, a goofy incident when I was a Lieutenant uh, being a little bit young and brash uh, during a wing golf tournament and uh, got a little bit too carried away having uh having fun during the <laughs> golf tournament and uh brought back brought back you know we had a lot of crazy goofy rules uh with the tournament and uh, one of the goofy rules was if you bring back a certain number of um cans of uh, empty cans empty beer cans at the end of the round um you got a uh stroke off for every nine cans we brought back so i got a little <laughs> too carried away and uh told the guy in the in the cart with me, a good friend of mine to jump in the other cart and I had an idea. So I started driving around the course heckling the other teams, which were other fighter pilots. So, you know, it's all good ribbing and good fun since we're, we compete and everything. And uh, so while I was heckling them uh, at the different tee boxes, I was uh, taking beer cans out of the trash can um, at each one of the places and throwing them into the golf cart. And so wound up coming back to the clubhouse with, you know, I looked like a mess because I've been digging around in garbage cans and uh, I had about 190 beer cans in the cart that I'd smashed and thrown in there. So we wound up, we didn't win the tournament, but we finished second despite having the lowest or the worst score of all the teams that were playing. And uh, so they gave me the call sign trash man after that. And it stuck for uh, like whatever, I guess since 1991. So 31 years or so. Well, you know, it's they do stick. I do know Soup Campbell. He's terrific, and his wife too. But yeah, those those call signs stick. You want a good one because you're gonna have to live with it forever. Yeah. You never outlive it. That's for yeah. sure. So let's talk about when it comes to Ukraine. What what can you tell me that other countries are doing or that we're doing? You know, under the wire, so to speak, if anything. And what should we be doing? What should other countries be doing to help Ukraine? Yeah, it's a it's a pretty delicate dance, I guess, is the best way of putting it, because Ukraine is not in NATO. And so I think my personal opinion is Putin would love nothing more than a direct NATO involvement in the fight. Then he could use that as an excuse to either escalate the fight or or move against some other NATO countries, which, you know, Latvia, Estonia and Lithuania are all on the Russian border and are NATO countries to the little bit further to the north. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, lethal aid that's coming in with anti-tank weapons, anti-air weapons, ammunition. Now there's armor, uh, things like that, that a lot of the NATO countries are trying to help with. Uh, I know the Czech Republic is now helping repair some of their tanks and some of their armor, uh, moving back and forth. So, you know, I think it's, I think from that perspective, it's probably being handled as well as it can be right now without kind of pushing over the 
too far over the edge and giving Putin an excuse to, to escalate things further. Um, I would say I give Poland a whole lot of credit because they have taken a massive amount of refugees out of Ukraine and are, and are taking them and, and not locking down the border, or, you know, keeping, keeping people from, from coming in. Uh, that are trying to get out of the fight, uh, especially women and children. And uh, Slovakia is another one, um, you know, another border country that's that's done a tremendous amount of work and effort to try to take in folks so they can survive the fight and then hopefully go back in, you know, obviously go back into Ukraine after all of this is over. Um, so it's it, every country in NATO has done different levels of assistance. The countries that are directly bordering Ukraine, like Poland and Slovakia, have have bared a bigger burden because of what they've had to deal with with the humanitarian crisis um, and have done a tremendous job. So there's a ton of U.S. and other organizations, uh, private organizations and non-government uh, organizations, NGOs, that are trying to get people out they're trying to get supplies in. They're trying to do medical facilities either on the border or in the western part of Ukraine um, to to help take care of it. And because private organizations can be a lot more agile with donors and assistance and, and moving things than a lot of governments, um, it's been refreshing to watch that and, and see that and kind of try to help out where possible. Yeah. Speaking of, and we've got a couple of minutes left, but I do want to talk to you, General Hicks, about what you've been doing trying to help people get out of Ukraine. You were also very much involved in trying to get the people who are our allies over in Afghanistan out of there safely. Give me an update on those those things that are happening. Yeah, we're still uh, we're still working hard and uh, staying busy with that, uh, with uh, what we're doing inside of Afghanistan, trying to get out Afghan Air Force and Afghan Special Mission Wing personnel. Um, we got. Uh, in the initial evacuation in the first few months, we were able to get uh, almost a thousand personnel and their families out of Afghanistan. We've got almost all of them to the United States and in the process of being resettled now. We still have a few more that are in um, in the UAE uh, that will be coming here soon. Um, one of the big things the the foundation that I'm I'm helping out with or I'm uh, running actually is. Uh, we're trying to get the pilots that we got out into pilot training here in the U.S. so they can get their U.S. certificates and then uh, get jobs here in the United States. So we're trying to help in the resettlement and job training aspect of it because who we got out are English speakers. We trained with them. We fought with them. Um, they were going to be super high-priority targets for the Taliban. We still have uh, about 3,000 inside of Afghanistan we're trying wow. to take care of and get also. Uh, so it's a it's an ongoing effort. Some days are better than others. Uh, the Taliban is taking advantage of all the attention being put on Ukraine to uh, do more searches, seizures, um, abductions, disappearances. Uh, think of think of whatever the worst thing you can think of here in the U.S. and multiply that by ten, and that's what the Taliban are doing over there mm. right now. And um, so, you know, it's not in the news, but what's happening inside of Afghanistan is a is a, an ongoing mess. And it's only getting worse um, now that the eye is off of off of them and in right. another part of the world gives them a chance right. to be even more brutal. 
Yeah, that's the problem. Well, thank God you're trying to help. And I know there are a lot of folks involved in trying to do that. And you're right. It's, they want us to follow the bouncing ball and not pay attention to that in the press, but it's so important. I cannot thank you enough, Brigadier General David Hicks, for joining me yet again and sharing part of your brain with me and uh, my audience about Ukraine, because it's a mess over there. And I can't stand the fact that civilians are being killed. And I'm hoping that Vladimir Putin, you know, has been so embarrassed by this. Hopefully he'll back off. And now the rest of the world will be a little more bold in handling him because now they realize what he can't do. I'm hoping that's the end result. I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I hope too. Is uh, that common sense and and cooler heads prevail uh, at the end of the day? But uh, I'm not sure exactly where his head is at right now, unfortunately. Right. So um, unfortunately, only time will tell with that. That's the big problem. That's for sure. Brigadier General David Hicks, thank you so much. It's been an honor, sir, once again to talk to you. I so appreciate it. Thank you, Heidi. Enjoy it as always. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk again sometime soon with yep. some, uh, some better things to talk about. Yes, I certainly hope we do get to talk about things from a better perspective pretty soon. Don't forget, you can find me every Sunday night in St. Louis on 97.1 FM Talk from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find me weekdays doing videos. I call them Headlines with Heidi. I do 15, 20-minute videos on the headlines of the day. Five days a week, you can find all of that at HeidiHarris.com or on Vimeo and YouTube, Heidi Harris Show. HeidiHarris.com is basically the central repository for all things Heidi Harris, so check that out. And uh, pass this along to anybody you know might be interested in hearing what's going on in Ukraine because, <laughs> like I said, everybody thinks they're an expert, right? Until we meet again, remember, I know times are tough. Things are looking bleak. I get it. But God is still on the throne. Please remember that. And you were created for a purpose. Here's Tony Scottwell. Mm -hmm.